Hey Sis, it's a weekly shakedown of the binary walls around us. Breaking it out and building a bridge. Checking our biases with empathy and humility and questioning the status quo. It's about building allyship that is intentional and confident. I wanted people to see her blackness as something that was so beautiful. You know, the only time you would hear about black trans femmes and girls and women was usually after they died. And it really, I'm like, we are more than our deaths, you know, celebrate us while we're here. And she's here and she's amazing. Hello and welcome. We are today speaking with Deshauna Neal, the co-author of the book, My Rainbow, um, a book about self-expression, a book about love and listening. And we're going to find out a little bit more about the inspiration behind this uh, wonderful story and uh, and the story itself from Deshauna. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. And we're so excited to have you here. So you wear many hats. You're an author, a mom, an advocate. And also, I love uh, when you said you're queer and melanin blessed. Um, I don't hear that very often. And I really (laughs) love that. (laughs) We take um, great care of loving our skin as it is. Um, and I ensure my children, you know, I'm like, your skin is beautiful. It is popping. To have this skin, you are blessed. <laughs> so. That is amazing. And, uh, and it is. It's all about just rocking the you, isn't it? And being comfortable yeah. in your own skin, but being proud. And um, so, yeah, this is, I think, what I love about this book, too. For so long as um, we've looked at a lot of books that are helping to give visibility to trans youth and gender creative children and there's not a lot of the intersectionality intertwined into these stories and so here we have an amazing book about trinity and trinity is your daughter yes um and so you wrote it together which is which is absolutely amazing but um and trinity is um a beautiful rainbow child who is black and also um is autistic and so you bring all of this beautifully together into the story. Do you want to tell me a little bit about like what inspired you both to sit down and write and and share the story? Well, a lot of parents that have started reaching out to me um, because in their words, I'm a trailblazer veteran. Uh, I've been at this now for 13 years with Trinity. She transitioned at four, so, and she's 17 now. But um, they were always like, you know, we would love to see a story about your family because we're seeing other stories. And I was, I wanted to first write a book, but in the very early days of trans kids becoming more aware, um, there was a lot of, well, your story isn't black enough. Um, there was never a time I disapproved of my daughter's transition. You know, she was never kicked out of the house. She, you know, like these things were never in my mind to do. I, you know, I actually didn't even realize it was something that happened when we first began, because I'm just thinking everyone loves their children. So mm-hmm. what? And, and so when I started hearing like, well, your story isn't black enough. Can we add an element of disapproval or discontent 
And I just like, no, because it's a lie. (laughs) And eventually a parent of trans children and non-binary themselves, who is also a literary agent, was like, we can make your story. Um, Tell us like different events that have happened since, you know, trend transition. And I just brought up the story about her wig, uh, the rainbow wig that everyone first saw her with when we went public. You know, they're like, who is this girl with this rainbow hair? Like, she's rocking it. And so I talked about, well, there's a funny story behind it. Um, It was literally created because she was struggling with growing her hair and her brother was the one who came up with the colors and the idea um and yeah (laughs) you know that's what happened but I also wanted people to not only recognize my daughter as trans which they did because public figures but I wanted people to see her blackness as something that was so beautiful You know, the only time you would hear about black trans femmes and girls and women was usually after they died. And it really, I'm like, we are more than our deaths, you know, celebrate us while we're here. And she's here and she's amazing. Um, But I also then wanted to talk about her autism uh, because I get, I come at it so differently than a lot of parents whose children get diagnosed where I was never upset or ashamed. Um, I was like, well, I guess we just have another, you know, level up for you. Like in our house, we use gaming terms. So she leveled up some more. <laughs> um, and I wanted that prominent in the story. Like all of these things, all of these parts of her make her a masterpiece of a human being and intersectionality is so vastly important you know sometimes we just focus on gender identity and forget that there's a whole person in there and so it was very important to me I love how you opened the story and you are you were talking about um, the sensorial aspect of it the softness and the textures and that that were so important important to Trinity and um, and how um, those textures made her feel safe and I think that was a really great illustration of of you know like you said we're all really, really unique in what makes us who us how who we are and and how we feel safe in the world and comfortable in the world. And so her having autism or being autistic is just one piece of who she is. Right. And, and being trans is another piece. But I often I like to say to people, um, we all have a gender identity. Transgender people aren't the only ones with with a gender identity. When you first talk uh, about her hair and and she's expressing to you the frustration about her hair not being long, she says people don't care if cisgender girls like to have short hair, but it's different for trans girls. Why do you think, you know, that was so important to convey in the book and how, you know, how it is different for trans girls? Like, what is that significance of the long hair? Well, first I want to, you know, say like, you can have any hair, (laughs) trans or not. Um, But even at that young age, she recognized the importance and safety in passing. 
And it wasn't something I pushed on her. It was just what she saw through society and what she knew she had to do to stay safe. Um, but I was also really pointing out that even as an, as an advocate and someone who has been raising now two trans daughters, she has taught me so much, you know, cause I will easily say, Oh, it's not a big deal. But then realizing, okay, it's not for me, but she's not me. And I really wanted parents as they read this or schools as they read this to recognize that we have to listen to the children. You know, we can't just assume, well, they're young and they know nothing. I'm sorry. My six-year-old probably knows way more than I do. Like he was born knowing how to zoom. And I was really like, wow, amazing. <laughs> you know? um, but I don't think we take the time to really listen to our children. You talk about listening with the heart um, in yeah. one of your talks, which I thought was just so important that um, you were describing how when children tell us something, there could really be an underlining current of something more important. And they're just really maybe not sure of how to get that across to you. But so we need right. to get deeper. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Um, a lot of times I tell parents, because I have four kids, so I tell parents, have you ever just sat in a different room while your kids were maybe playing on the floor? Have you ever just listened to their conversations? Because they're weird. They're hilarious most times. But what they're talking about is their way of perceiving the world around them. And it's very important to listen to that and not just like go, oh, silly Johnny, you know, like really listen, like, huh, this is what's being talked about in their peer groups. My first grader, my six-year-old alone, he talks a lot right now. <laughs> and there are times I block him out because I'm like, I don't care about uh, Minecraft right now, <laughs> you know. But there was just one day I I was sitting and just like playing a game on my Kindle and I hear him talking to my 10 year old and he's just like, yeah, when I was on the playground today, everyone w was coming up to me and saying that, you know, when they bring Trump back, they're going to make sure I go away. And I was kind of like six year olds. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, they're having political discussions on this the first grade playground. Like, whoa. But, you know, I actually stopped what I was doing at that part. And, and I asked him, like, well, how did that make you feel? Because then I'm realizing he's not just saying it to have light conversation. It obviously bothered him enough that he remembered it and came home and talked about it. And that's what I mean by listening with your heart. You sense your child. Like, when you're listening with your heart, you're truly able to bond and link and connect. And I knew at that moment he didn't understand it, but he knew it was wrong and he needed to hear some suggestions and, and also still have us listen to his fears. And we stopped everything, the whole family. And we sat down with him and we like, well, let's talk about that. You know, that was very rude. And, you know, like we were, we calmed his discontent of the whole conversation by giving him space 
to have his feelings and then acknowledging and affirming his feelings. So when I say listen, when I listen to Trinity with my heart, I was actually taking the time to give her space to tell me what she was trying to tell me and how big those emotions felt for her. And it gave me the ability to then empathize with her. Like, you know what, we are going to make this work. We're going to figure out how to help. That so resonates with me. I think when our child first, before that they transitioned, their teacher had read a book in class. They were older than Trinity. They were in grade five at the time and 10 years old. And while this book was being read in school, they were coming home throughout the period of six weeks and uh, at the dinner table would ask questions like, did you ever wish you had a boy? Or if you had had a boy, what would you have called them? And because I didn't have that education then around gender identity and my misconceptions around being trans was probably limited to having watched like Priscilla Queen of the Desert and and relating it more to a drag queen. I had no idea that that's what they were trying to tell me. Um, And I I didn't, I wasn't listening. I wasn't, you know, or I didn't have the ability to kind of comprehend, but in hindsight now, that resonates so much to me that while they were asking all of that, they were feeling out they're going to, what they were feeling is, is this going to be okay? Or, you know, will we be able to help and support them? Or are we going to love them? You know, I didn't just go, okay, you're saying you're a girl, whatevs. You know, like, I realized I had to, I had to sit and truly listen. But to do that meant to give a child space. I think we forget that as adults. Trinity's ability to communicate with you um, about how she was feeling on the inside. Now, the mm-hmm. whole being um, autistic, having that autism piece to that, um, was it easy to discredit at first or not hear what she was telling because maybe you weren't sure where it was coming from or um, because her ability to communicate? You had mentioned, I think, that she didn't speak um for the first few years that she was alive. So how did, how did that whole layer or that intersection, but that just that layer add to um, her transitioning, whether it helped helped or whether it was maybe created some more barriers? Um, so the reason I didn't listen right away was primarily because, you know, I like to tell people this, this occurred for me before Facebook existed, Google didn't exist, or Twitter, and I jokingly, like, I had to use AOL search, <laughs> and I had a MySpace page. So, oh, what that is. <laughs> yeah. And I tell people, like, younger people, they're like, what? What do you speak of? What is these these artifacts? But um, I didn't know anything. Like, the my only introduction to it was the Mari Povich is it a boy or is it a girl type of show? And it was so sensationalized. I'm like, well, my child's pretty subdued here. So it can't be that. And I'd never seen a kid who said these things. I'm like, well, that's definitely only adults. Um, I will say of all the things, you know, because she was receiving early intervention speech therapy and she may not have been clear on understanding like 
other aspects of speech. But when they asked her, are you a boy or a girl? She straight up was like, I'm a girl. Like that aspect of her, she was so sure about. She had no problem speaking it. She spoke her truth so clearly at age three and has not swayed or wavered on. Like she just, she just knew. And I love when people are like, kids can't be trans. I go, she didn't come up to me and say, I'm transgender. Like, <laughs> she was just like, I'm a girl, you know? And I didn't even know what to call it. And people don't know, but I did not tell her she was transgender until she was about eight or nine. Okay, right. She was a girl. She was a girl. And, you know, and it's interesting because having done some WPATH training, like through the World Professional Association of Trans Health, the um, the numbers of youth with autism who are trans is actually quite high. Yeah. And so where they say about upwards of 3% of the population can identify under the trans umbrella, I often think it's probably because there's that early intervention piece that people are talking to kids and they're asking them questions that they have the opportunity to express themselves and right. and explore it a lot more than, say, if you're not, you know, you're not, in an, in a system where there's early intervention around any um, any health or mental health or right mm-hmm. and I think also a lot of it comes from the fact that in my house you can be a mommy you can be a daddy when you play it never mattered mm-hmm. because in my eyes as I would tell her and at the time my now second born <laughs> um, you can be anyone. As long as you're happy, you know, and of course, kids being kids are like, what if I was a murderer? (laughs) Like, are you happy about it? (laughs) But um, she never jump off the roof and try to fly. (laughs) Right. I'm like, "Mm." but I think she also knew no matter what her identity was in our home, we would just want her happy. And so it made expressing, I think, a little easier for her, too. Yeah, and I think that's the bottom line message for all families out there, isn't it, With for trans and gender diverse and any child. Like, as long as your child is happy, um, that really should be all that matters. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Like you you say to parents, and I, I heard you mention this in your your many talks, um, that would you like to have a happy daughter or a dead son? And oh, it's just heart wrenching even to think about that. But that's the reality of it, isn't it? If we, yeah. you know, for people don't often stop to think, what would it be like if you can't live your truth in the world? Um, because right. cisgender people or as a cisgender person, for me, you know, I've never had to take that into consideration. I'm taking it for granted. Right. And that's that's that piece again, why I put the part in the book. As a cis person, I have to acknowledge and I, I ask many parents, many allies, advocates to acknowledge you can never truly know because you are not trans. You are coming in as an invited guest to their lives. And, you know, I go, don't step on their beds with your shoes on. (laughs) Just come in there respectful and 
just be there. It's true. You need your community um, and it comes in many different forms, but I love the family focus in your book too, and how um, the entire family really rallied behind Trinity and problem solving and trying to find the solution um, and come yeah. up with this colorful wig. So it's a great story for, for kids and for children and for parents reading the story at bedtime, you know, with their children. And truly, if your child's older, because um, I know I've seen, I've heard a couple questions like, why didn't she get input? And I was like, well, her input was her distress. Mm, okay. Um, her input was really just telling me, like, this is, this is hard for me. Um, but at the same time, she's one of those kids where if I had taken her across the street, she would be like, I, I don't really need anything. And that, you know, and you don't want to put that extra stress on them. So to give them that gift of we heard you, mm. we listened, we got this, we're going to make sure you are truly happy, is I think even better. And I do it a lot with all my kids. So... <laughs> I hear from a lot of parents that it's that sometimes it's that moment where they actually have taken uh, their child um, to the store for their first shopping of clothes that mm-hmm. earns their gender identity. And it's their faces and the, the parents almost are seeing them again for the very first time. And, um, you know, I think that that's what that, you know, you want right to give that gift and the reaction was there. If she didn't like the wig, you probably wouldn't have stopped and said, okay, we'll come up with something else. But it was, you wanted to hear her and, and take it off of her, but, and, and give her something without her having to ask, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Isn't it? We see, we see lots of uh, articles on like, I shouldn't have to ask. You know, for moms, like, I shouldn't have to ask you to help clean the house, you know, but I told, I've told her, I've told all my children, you shouldn't have to ask when you come to me about a distressing issue, if I'm going to be there to help you with it. Ever. Of course, I'm going to be there. So what would you say to teachers that are, you know, teaching grade one, grade two, grade three, like, how can they use this book um, to help? Um, introduce the concepts and maybe some, like if you have an idea of a, an activity or a question to ask students that can really help resonate for them about inclusion right. and being a good ally. So fun, fun story. I actually work with L, uh, K through five schools oh. to start talking okay. about LGBTQ <laughs> uh, <laughs> life because I say it's important. And, you know, when people ask me like, what's the, what's difficult about raising a trans child I'm like, well, it actually shouldn't be. It should be the same as raising any child. But what makes it difficult is realizing people can't love and accept your child as much as you do. Mm. And so at the school, like I said, the principal, he's great. Um, He actually hired me to do a professional development workshop on what the school can do to make it better, a better environment for their LGBTQ students. If you really want to be able to read this to the class because it needs to be read, make make it an event. Make there be a reason this book is being read. So what I've actually been uh, promoting this year is having an inclusion and diversity week 
so some of the, again, some of the teachers were like, I'm so confused. And I'm like, it's okay to be confused. Don't be ashamed that you're confused because you're here. Now, if you were confused and you decided not to show up, then I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but you're here to learn to be better. And their top takeaways was there's a huge difference between being supportive but also and being safe. Like you can support till the cows come home, but are you safe? Are you a safe person? Can a child come to you if they can't go to their parents mm-hmm. and know that they are not going to be judged? Um, you need to add diverse books to your library. Mm-hmm. If they're not seeing themselves reflected, you're not doing your job as an educator. <laughs> um, and then their, the final call to action was like, start a club start clubs we should be starting clubs in the k through five if we start younger we can help bring down harassment bullying once they're in middle school which is everybody knows the worst um so i actually and i get those questions from the teachers like how do we do this without upsetting parents um blah 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 blah. and my joking answer which is actually i'm not joking is like well screw those parents like they're gonna be upset anyway (laughs) <laughs> I mean, they're probably angry because their son used a pink crown to color in a flower you know <laughs> men use blue like I don't know. <laughs> um, so but I say if you really want to be able to read this to the class because it needs to be read make make it an event make there be a reason this book is being read so what I've actually been Uh, promoting this year is having an inclusion and diversity week where Mm -hmm. you read books about different aspects of diversity and inclusion. It doesn't just have to be LGBTQ. My daughter has autism, so she has an IEP. She's like in certain special education courses. There are lots of kids who have IEPs for various reasons. Wouldn't it be great to read a book about a child with Down syndrome who, like, is a hero and does all these great things? Because guess what? There's going to be students with Down syndrome who would like to see their faces reflected. There are students who have siblings with Down syndrome. You know, like, mirrors. We want to create mirrors for all the children to see. And if their parents don't like it, good news, their parents don't go to school for eight hours a day. (laughs) I mean, unless they're sitting in there. (laughs) But, you know, they can't, you can't imagine them being upset if they're learning about social science, social studies, um, history, like those are important things. And so with Trinity's book, some teachers like, how do we explain what cisgender is or what transgender is? Um, I'm like, how do you explain what autism is? I asked them, like, she has autism. How do you explain that? If a child comes up to you like Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so, what's autism? Are you going to be like, oh, they're too young to know this? (laughs) Like, no, you'll say, you know, it's 
deals with uh, certain social behaviors or learning behaviors, but they're still amazing kids and they want to be your friend. So cisgender, like, well, cis means the same. And so you, are you a boy? And I'm like, don't just say you're a boy. I'm like, ask that kid first. Cause you might get a shocker. <laughs> like, are you a boy? And the kid, if the kid says, well, yeah. And you just go, well, you're cisgender. Congratulations. And that makes you a good friend. And you know, your friend over there who was coming to school is as Teresa and now is Terry. And they're like, yeah, I'm like, well, your friend is transgender. And guess what? You're all friends. And like, I'm like, don't just lecture it to the kids. Like, and furthermore, make it exciting. Like, make it like, oh my goodness, this is the best thing in the world. And like, if you make it a celebratory situation, then there is no shame in it. And um, so I, I actually had it done for Hyperion, my 10 year old who transitioned last year. So she transitioned, she transitioned during winter break and came back to school as herself. Amazing. And what grade is Hyperion in? She's in third grade. So. Okay. Um, That week, that week of winter break, I was communicating, they have the most amazing principal. I was communicating with him, her teacher, staff, like everyone, like this is what we need to happen. Mm-hmm. If we're going to make sure this works. And, and so I asked the teacher, I'm like, make it a celebration. Have the kids make cards or pictures for Hyperion because she's nervous coming back. Mm-hmm. And just have them make these like, yeah, we're still friends. And like, I love how you do this. And like, make it a celebration. And she can get all these cards. And when she gets home and brings them, she can write thank you cards and give them to her friends. And so they did. And they read a couple books. Um, they read, read a crown story and I am jazz, but it was a celebration. I, I made, it was before COVID, it's pre COVID. So I made cupcakes, you know, I was like celebration and she was happy and the kids, all they remember is this was a good thing and we got cupcakes <laughs> you gotta finish everything with a cupcake or some ice cream and, right. but now did the teacher then continue on so it's great to have a celebration and I love that whole idea but I do f- believe that you need to con- there has to be a thread of inclusivity that runs throughout the entire year as well. So um, if kids have questions, they do feel comfortable asking them. So they're not trying to come up with their own answers or perhaps get answers from parents that don't have the right answers. Um, So how, how, how is your school system um, supported Hyperion and Trinity that way? Or Um, (laughs) our district has ways to go. Which is why I don't think they like me so much because I'm heavily involved. <laughs> um, I sit on several committees and they just try to avoid me as much as possible. Um, but it shouldn't be um, so hard. <laughs> it shouldn't. And you know, when people ask me like, what's the, what's difficult about raising a trans child? I'm like, Well, it actually shouldn't be. It should be the same as raising any child. But what makes it difficult is realizing people 
can't love and accept your child as much as you do. Mm-hmm. And so at the school, like I said, the principal, he's great. Um, he actually hired me to do a professional development workshop on what the school can do to make it better, a better environment for their LGBTQ students. And did you have a couple of top that you could share with us, a top takeaways or I'm sure it's. Yes. So some of the, again, some of the teachers were like, I'm so confused. I'm like, it's okay to be confused. Don't be ashamed that you're confused because you're here. Now, if you were confused and you decided not to show up, then I don't know what to tell you, (laughs) but you're here to learn to be better. And their top takeaways was there's a huge difference between being supportive, but also and being safe. Like you can support till the cows come home, but are you safe? Are you a safe person? Can a child come to you if they can't go to their parents Mm -hmm. and know that they are not going to be judged? Um, The third one was like, you need to add diverse books to your library. If they're not seeing themselves reflected, you're not doing your job as an educator. <laughs> um, and then their, the final call to action was like, start a club, start clubs. We should be starting clubs in the K through five uh, like, level yeah, anyway. Like, like little, say? Say little pride clubs. I'm like, diverse, pride and diversity. Mm doesn't always mean LGBTQ. I want to see diversity. I want to see kids in wheelchairs being able to be seated at the table. Mm -hmm. I want to see that pride because then you can have events and activities and more kids will learn Mm -hmm. and learn to be accepting and affirming and be respectful. And I'm like, that's literally your slogan. (laughs) Their slogan is park pride. (laughs) It's right there. <laughs> Just use it. Because if you're bringing people together with your model, it's bringing people together as opposed to, say, if you're just doing a GSA, you're separating. You're separating a group of people away from the other population of of, uh, of the school. Whereas if you are celebrating diversity, I mean, chances are you're probably going to have at least 95% because everyone's going to find something diverse about themselves to celebrate. And then it becomes, like you said, another great celebration. Right. As opposed so, to- you know, I just, and then again, if you got parents, have them come to a family night. Mm. Have them come do those activities for pride. Are they not proud of having a beautiful family and a smart child and this, that? They have pride to think about too. And if we start thinking more on the side of, we need to be proud of all our uniqueness rather than bringing shame like, Oh, did you hear so-and-so's like this? No, it could be more like, hey, I heard so-and-so was like this, but guess what? They're great chess players, and I like chess. I'm going to go and check out if they want to be a friend. You know, like, if we start shifting that narrative. Change the narrative. Let's do it. Yeah. So (laughs) you call yourself, um, or you have referred to yourself as an accidental advocate. And I wasn't sure if that came out of um, the healthcare system and being denied uh, access, uh, to community. And I can't even imagine, like, well, I can imagine, I'm sure a lot of people can't imagine what that would feel like as a parent being shut out of 
again, basic access to care. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that time and how you became an accidental advocate? So <laughs> I think it kind of started in the beginning because Trinity is the first documented trans child for the state of Delaware. <laughs> that, that's incredible. That is really kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? <laughs> When we found the therapist we found, she was the only one in Delaware at the time that even worked with transgender people, and they were all adults. She'd never worked with a child before. Oh, my gosh. So you have a three-year-old or a four-year-old at the time coming into care, and they've never worked with anybody that is a trans youth. And I like sent like a long email, like, please just help me. And a lot of her colleagues were like, if you do this, you're going to lose your license. And she was like, okay, <laughs> and it, if it hadn't been for her, you know, um, but so I, I didn't think I was advocating in the beginning. I didn't realize me having to educate every single doctor and specialist on how to address her and what trans meant um, because they had never had a trans patient. Not a single one of them. That would be exhausting. Yeah. And I was doing it alone. Um, my family stopped talking to me. And my now ex-in-laws also stopped talking to me. I was kicked out of the mommy group. Oh. And I was like, I'm fine with that. <laughs> but I, you know, I lost all but one friend. And that's the kids got mom. Um, so I was really alone on this, but I was like, I'm a tough person. And so when it came time to do puberty blockers, you know, I'm coming in with my own intersections. I'm a black woman who is below poverty and had to go below poverty for Trinity because they, she was denied access to kindergarten. So <laughs> I had to quit my job so that I could homeschool her and her brother. Um, so I was on Medicaid. And at the time, if it hadn't been for the fact that Obama had put Section 1557 in the Affordable Care Act, I wouldn't have been able to fight mm-hmm. because they denied me explicitly. Like, we do not do this for this reason. And I was like, I guess you are going to now, though. <laughs> and, uh, I, I don't know, this thing just rose in me. And I'm like, there, I fought too hard, educated too long to have them suddenly say my child is not deserving of care. And it started that way. And then it started evolving. I'm like, no parent should have to go through this because we're poor, because we rely on state assistance. Like, no, no, no. We are deserving of health care. <laughs> and so I started fighting. But she gives me this strength. All my kids give me this power I didn't think I could ever have. And I joke with them, like, I never wanted kids, but I'm kind of glad, you know, y'all showed up. 
And it's inspiring because the work that we do up here, a lot of the volunteer work that we do, um, a lot of the LGBTQ groups or the parents that come to us through PFLAG are, are white. And we are not seeing a lot of parents of color, um, black or brown and, and, you know, we desperately want to reach out and like be able to say, hey, we're here and and we can support you and your families wherever they are along their journey. But it really um, was still struggling with that here in Halifax. And yeah. like you said, the communities exist. The population is there. And so it's not only, you know, uh, white communities that have trans and non-binary children. Right. So it's trying to create that safe space to get us all talking and um, right. And supporting right and so there's it, work to be done there always always and you think that there's time for another book in there or well <laughs> possibly didn't hear from me okay all right we'll just watch we'll watch but you have my email and please connect when oh absolutely you are busy doing amazing work and changing the world around you they will have ripple effects well, thank you, Deshana, so much for your time. And it's such a pleasure to meet you. I hope that we could meet in person one day. So when you're free to travel. But uh, and if you're ever up here, I would love, you know, to have you come in and do a reading of the book with Trinity. If you're ever traveling up to Nova Scotia, please reach out. Well, that's all the time we have today, folks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Hey Sis. If you have any questions you want to ask or want to join in on the conversation, email us at connect at simplygoodform.com. Thank you all. And remember, inclusion matters.